Good morning, I'm Thad Lanthrop, the executive pastor at Church in the Valley, which is the church that Alex and Sam and the six adults uh, from Church in the Valley and their kids, they, they launched out of, of Church in the Valley to start Ridgeview Church. Here's a picture of the last Sunday that they were all at Church in the Valley. Um, we're praying for them as they moved to Fontana and started the church and um, I just wanted to show you this to let you know that, you know, Church in the Valley is for you guys. We are with you. We want to support you however we can. And we're excited for what God is doing through Ridgeview Church. I also wanted to just introduce myself a little bit. Here's a picture of my family. My wife, Gina, and I have been married for 11 years, and um, we have four kids. Blake is nine, Jeremy is seven, Ellie is six, and uh, JB, the guy who's not too happy about that picture there, um, he is two, almost three. And you'll notice that's a Christmas picture because I don't think we have a picture where we're in nice clothes since then, um, as we've all been locked down. And then here's another picture of Alex, your pastor Alex, and uh, my son JB. Uh, my son JB, his name is Joshua Barrett. Uh, Alex likes to call him just Barrett because the Barrett part of his name is named after Alex. Alex and Sam have been incredible friends to me and my family. And as I think about Ridgeview, I'm really excited for you all that you get to have a pastor like Alex who loves God and loves people and he will lead you all to do the same. So really excited um, that you all get to have Alex and Sam around as well as all the people that came from Church and Valley to start uh, Ridgeview Church. I'm going to continue on in the streams of thought message series that you all have been in where we're looking at streams of thought that can really wreak havoc on our lives if we don't stop these destructive thoughts and turn to the truth of the Bible to help us to um, not give in to them. Thoughts are so important because what you focus on turns in to what your life is about. Thoughts very quickly get filtered into emotions and actions. And when we focus on the wrong thoughts, we can end up feeling and acting in ways that cause real damage to ourselves and to, the, uh, to others around us. A while back, I was really battling with thoughts of being overwhelmed. It was one of those weeks where, you know, work is busy, home life's busy. It's just, it seems like all areas of life are converging. And it, I was just, I was overwhelmed. How am I going to get everything done? And these thoughts started to trickle into my mind. You know, this is really too much. How are you going to get all this done? And then as I'm starting to work on things, I, I, this thought of, you know, you're, you're really slow at this. You're not going to be able to, to finish what you started. And as I started to try to do things quicker, there was thoughts of, you know, you rushed through that. That's, that's really not going to be helpful to, any, to anybody. You know, the, rehearsing these types of thoughts are so destructive and it, it's exhausting because you're, you're beating yourself up constantly throughout the day and you're trying to not give in to the thoughts that are going on. And these types of thoughts come into our minds because Christ followers are in a spiritual war. 
Take a look at Ephesians 6.12 where it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So as we look at this verse, let's start with the, the first two words. It says, for we. Who are the we in this passage of scripture that it's talking about? The we is Christ followers. This book in the Bible was originally written to a church in Ephesus who was full of people who had chosen to follow Christ. And a quick summary of what a Christ follower is, is Romans 10, 9 where it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Christ followers confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. And they are what they're saying when they do that is, I'm, going to, I'm not going to live life on my own anymore. I'm going to follow God and do life his way. The other night, my wife, Gina, was putting our son JB to bed and she was talking to him about God, telling him God loves him, explaining a little bit about how God sent his son Jesus Christ to live on on earth and that Jesus died to save us from our sins. And my son was getting excited. He really liked the idea of God loving him. Then she said, and God wants us to obey him. And he's like, okay. And, And then she said, And part of obeying God is one of the things he wants you to do is to obey mom and dad. And he said, "Uh uh-oh. Well, that's where we all find ourselves uh, a lot of times as we're weighing, are we going to do life God's way or are we going to do life our own way? We have these uh uh-oh moments where we think, oh, if I do life God's way, it means that I need to do this or I need to stop doing something else. Christ followers say, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust your ways that they're going to work out for good in my life. And so I'm going to go your way instead of going my own way. And they believe that God raised his son Jesus from the dead as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, some of you might be uh, watching this and you're not Christ followers yet. That's great that you are checking out what it means to follow Christ. You're getting a better picture. And so as we looked at this Ephesians verse, there's this spiritual battle that's going on with Christ followers. Um, But the Bible's clear that we're all in a spiritual battle. It's not just the Christ followers that are in this battle. Ephesians is talking specifically about the Christ followers battle, but... We're all in the same battleground of, are we going to do life on our own or are we going to do life God's way? The devil was defeated when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he knows that his time is short on earth. And so he is coming after us with these thoughts to try to get us to do life apart from God, to live a life that is apart from the joy and the happiness and the purpose that comes when we set out to live life God's way. And so we find ourselves in this this battle. And one of the tools that God gives us to fight and to push back in this battle is that we need to stay alert to the enemy's schemes. We're going to look at a couple verses in 1 Peter 5. 
And 1 Peter was written by a man named Peter, appropriately named that it's 1 Peter. And um, 1 Peter is, uh, or Peter himself, was one of Jesus' closest disciples, closest followers. He saw how Jesus was tempted by the enemy. He saw how Jesus responded to when these, those thoughts would come into his mind, how he pushed back and was able to defeat the enemy thoughts and lies that would come in to, um, that would come at him to try to get him to do life apart from God. And Jesus defended against those. And so Peter has a lot to say on this issue of the enemy. Look at what he says. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So look at the picture that we get here. The picture that we get is not that it's just these passive thoughts that come through our mind or these this passive thing. It's a it's this picture that looks like this, like this lion. The, the enemy is prowling around, looking, finding, and then devouring. He's looking for weaknesses in us to get us to do life on our own in destructive patterns that take us away from doing life God's way. And so I want to take a little bit of time to see, to look at the couple of phrases at the beginning of this verse that we just looked at and see what that means for how we can stay alert from these schemes that the enemy is trying to to get us to do. So let's look at being sober-minded. For me, Sober-minded, it's one of those phrases, it sounds really good, it, it's, it sounds right, and I think maybe I know what it means, but I, I really, I don't quite have a great grasp on what it means, so I studied it further, and what does sober-minded mean? Well, it, it's, to look at what sober-minded means, it really helps to look at what being sober, you know, physically is. So being sober is to not be intoxicated, by drugs or alcohol, being intoxicated, it clouds our ju- judgment. It, we can't see life clearly if we're intoxicated by drugs or alcohol. Have you ever really wanted something so bad that it's all you can think about? For me, it, there was a Christmas growing up where I wanted this thing. I wanted a Super Nintendo so bad that I was saving up all my money. Every time I had an opportunity to, to make money or to try to make money, I'd get it. And I'd put it away in my, uh, my lockbox so that I could have enough money to get that Super Nintendo. The, the thing is that we get like that too. As adults, we, we get things on our mind that we want to happen in our life that it's all we can think about. We get intoxicated by the things around us, whether it's maybe a car or a house or a vacation that we want to go on or retirement or maybe just advancing in our career. These things aren't bad in and of themselves, but when our judgment, when our mind is so filled with thinking about them that it becomes the purpose of our life, that's where we can get off track. We stop investing in things that are important, that are that are eternal things, the people around us, and we start focusing on how can we make enough money or how can we spend enough time at work so the boss sees us that we can advance in our career. 
instead of focusing on what's really important in life. And so these types of things, they cloud our judgment. They can get us off track from living life God's way and start to live for ourselves and trying to make whatever we want to make happen. So the idea, this spiritual uh, or this sober-minded, the idea of that is it's an it's spiritual alertness. It's a, a focus on the truth rather than pursuing the things in the world. And with that focus, it helps us to see things clearly and it helps us to be watchful, which it talks about in 1 Peter 5. For me, this is an easier idea to think about. Being watchful is to be fully awake, to be on alert. I talked to a friend of mine who's a retired LAPD officer just to get a sense of how police stay on alert. What, what do they do? And what he said to me was, he said, whether, whether you're on duty or off duty, police officers are always on alert because they have seen how seemingly normal situations can turn bad. And so they're always look when they enter a restaurant, have you ever noticed there's certain places they want to sit when they go in a restaurant because they want to be able to see the whole restaurant. They know where the exits are. They know where trouble might come from. They're on alert. They're ready to protect and serve the people around them at all times. That's the attitude that's talking about here and being watchful. We have to be on alert for these thoughts that come in to tear us down. Thoughts like, you're a terrible person. Who thinks that? Who treats people like that? Or you're not strong enough to get through this difficulty that you're facing. Or this isn't working. This whole relationship with God thing, it's, it's not working. It's not working for you. When those thoughts come into our mind, we need to see them clearly, be sober-minded, be watchful for them, and then we need to resist the enemy with Christ's help. 1 Peter 5.9, the next verse, says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is an encouragement to us all. Peter, first of all, he's saying, Resist him. That, that encourages us that we can resist these thoughts that come into mind. We can resist the enemy's attacks against us. And then he says, firm in your faith. So resist him, firm in your faith. It would be easy to read, resist him, firm in your faith, and just say, okay, and, and move along. But I want to spend some time. What does that mean, being firm in your faith? It's an action-packed phrase. And so let's take a look at Romans 3.23 through the first part of verse 25 together to get an idea of what this looks like, how to be firm in our faith against an enemy that is prowling, looking for ways to take us out. How can we stand firm against that? Look at these verses with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. There's a ton of information in those verses there, and we're going to go through them just a a couple of phrases at a time and look at some definitions for how this 
helps us to stand firm in our faith. Now, first of all, it says, for all have sinned. One of the things that I talk to my kids about is don't use words like all or always or never. You always don't let me play with you or you never let me go first when we're doing something. Those are inflammatory statements when we say that. And they're they're often not true, but it says all have sinned here. And that's a true statement because sin is missing the mark that God has given us to live by. We've all chosen to go our own way, apart from the way that God wants us to live. So it's things like lying. And we think, oh, it's just a little white lie, or it's close to the truth. It's, it's not quite, quite um, as bad as just saying a flat-out lie. But it's missing the mark that God has for us. He wants us to, to speak truth. Or things like self-harm, maybe mentally or physically, we, we harm ourselves. Or arrogance, pride, elevating ourselves above Others, that's an example of sin, sexual immorality, adultery, adultery, porn, addictions, murder. These are all examples of missing the mark that God has given for us to live life his way. And so this is saying we've all done it. We've all, in one way or another, we have gone our own way. And then it says, and fall short of the glory of God. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The image that kept coming to mind as I was thinking of what it looks like to fall short of the glory of God is of a pole vaulter. Now, I'm not a big pole vault watcher. Uh, I watch it about once every four years when the Olympics are on, which will be five years now because it got moved to next summer. But take a look at this clip. This is the, this clip shows how we think we fall short of the glory of God. We think it's pretty close like this. So we think we're just about there, but we just quite can't make it over the bar. But in, in reality, it's really not that close. It's more like this. That's how far we are from the glory of God that it's talking about there. Now, glory, it's not a word that we use a ton these days. And the glory, the definition of glory by itself is an honoring based on good opinion. And so what's happening here, it's the glory of God. So it's an honoring based on good opinion of God's character, of of who God is. God is merciful. He is kind. He is loving. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is never-changing. He is faithful. He is righteous. Everything he does is right. And that is in contrast to us, which is just said, for all have sinned, missed the mark, not made it to the glory of God. And because of that separation and that contrast that we see here in this verse, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's extreme anger against us because we chose to reject him, to rebel against him, to go our own way. And this gap is enormous between us. And this gap, understanding it, is really foundational to this faith that First Peter is talking about. The enemy wants to continue to remind us of this gap. He wants us to feel guilty 
about this gap of us choosing to reject God and go our own way in his glory. He wants us to focus on that gap. It's part of his strategy to get us off track from living life God's way. He says, remember, you're a sinner. Remember, you're just a terrible person. But look at what happens next in Romans 3, 24. Look at what happens. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's amazing. We deserved God's wrath, extreme anger against us. We deserved eternal separation from God. We deserve eternity in in hell where there's torment and pain and gnashing of teeth, but we are justified is what it says. And this word justified, it's a legal term that's being talked about. Justified is declared righteous. When a judge makes a ruling, it is final. And this is a final ruling from God that you are justified, declared righteous through Jesus Christ. If we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we are declared righteous. This means that God views Christ followers as righteous through Christ in light of eternity. So when the enemy tries to get us to focus on the gap between us and God, we can stand firm in our faith that we are declared righteous before God. It's an amazing thing. And this is only possible through grace, through God's grace, his undeserved favor. We fall short on our own. And this justification comes through God's undeserved favor towards us. And there's redemption. Redemption that is being talked about there is a price that was paid. The only way for man to be justified through Uh, was through Jesus Christ, who lived a life of perfection and died on the cross for our sins. And we see that that price was paid in the first half of verse 25, where it says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Our rebellion incurred God's wrath. And that needed to be dealt with in order for us to be declared righteous and redeemed. Christ was the sacrifice of atonement. We could not atone for our sin by ourselves. And God, because of his character and nature, he couldn't just sweep our sin under the rug. He needed, it needed to be dealt with, and he sent his son Jesus Christ down to earth to deal with our sin problem. So Jesus Christ came. He was born of a virgin, lived on earth, tempted by the same things we were tempted, the thoughts that we have. He, he lived through those. And instead of choosing to go his own way, he chose to live life God's way perfectly. He didn't give in to the temptation. He was perfect like his father, and he died as a sacrifice of atonement on the cross for our sins. Our sins were nailed to the cross with him so that we could be declared righteous before God through Jesus Christ. And when he was raised on that third day, it was in victory. And that whoever confesses with whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that Christ died for them on the cross and saved them from the sins, 
they are declared righteous before God. And that is the faith that can stand against the enemy's attacks and our thoughts. And we, as Christ followers, need to appropriate Christ's victory on the cross to defeat these thoughts. Now, appropriate is not a word that we use a lot nowadays, but appropriate is to devote to a special purpose. And so to, de- to devote Christ's victory on the cross to a special purpose, we, let's look at it in a couple of different ways. One of those ways is maybe we have a defective self-image. The enemy will come at us to put us down, to put ourselves down. Thoughts like you're not good enough, you're worse than other people. Who thinks that? Who does that? Or remember when you treated that person that way? You're, what a jerk you were. The enemy's trying to, to bring us down. He's trying to re- help us remember this gap that is between us And God, streams of thought that diminish your value are from the enemy himself. But look at the truth that we find in the Bible where God shows us the value we have. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So appropriating Christ's victory on the cross in this type of situation where we're beating ourselves up, having this defective self-image would look like this. Say something like, I am justified. I am declared righteous before God through Christ. I reject and and fill in the blank. Whatever thought is coming to mind that that is pushing you down, it is causing you to have a bad self-image of yourself, you reject that thought in the name of Jesus Christ. There is power in Jesus Christ's name. You can reject these thoughts and get back to focusing on what you need to focus on And then when the enemy comes at at you with thoughts of bitterness towards someone, we can appropriate Christ's victory on the cross in this way as well. Look at Christ's example of forgiveness in Luke 23, 34. As he's being led to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He had all the right in the world to be mad at these people, to be bitter towards them. They're leading him to die in excruciating death on the cross, but he chose forgiveness in that situation. And we can too. So when bitterness starts to come up and well up in you, don't hate, appropriate. And say something like this, I forgive so-and-so just like I am forgiven of my sins only by God's grace and the victory won on the cross through Jesus Christ. And then you can also appropriate an anxiety and worry. Nobody struggled with that lately, right? No anxiety or worry going on here. Um, I know I have struggled with that some. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When the anxious thoughts come up, when the worry starts to, to, to dwell up in you, you don't have to spiral into anxiety. You can take those thoughts to God. You can appropriate Christ's victory on the cross to deal with those anxious thoughts and the worry. And you could say something like this. I am declared righteous through Jesus Christ. My deepest need has been met. 
God will do what is best for me and fill in the blank of the situation. I put my trust in him and not myself. God wants us to have a blessed life in the midst of the spiritual war that we find ourselves in. And he's given us the tools to do that. So be sober-minded. Be watchful. Resist the enemy by appropriating Christ's victory on the cross. That is the way to stay alert, to defeat the enemy's attacks against us. Maybe you're here and, and you're not yet a Christ follower. I want to encourage you to take some next steps to figure that out. There, the power that comes to de- defeat these thoughts comes through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and so I want to encourage you to uh, let Ridgeview know if you want to uh, investigate this further. On your connection card, go ahead and write, you know, you'd like to talk to somebody about becoming a Christ follower. Your relationship with God through Christ is, is the most important thing you could focus on right now. We encourage you to do that. The truth found in the Bible can help us to appropriate Christ's victory on the cross and experience God's best for us in the middle of all these thoughts and the, the battle that we find ourselves in. I want to encourage you to take some next steps in response to the message today. Each week we encourage people uh, to do that at Church in the Valley. I think Ridgeview does as well. Um, one of those next steps might be to memorize 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, where it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Memorize that. Help it to, to remind you of the battle that we're in, that we can resist and stand firm in faith. We can be watchful and alert. Memorizing scripture will help you to be able to apply these things to your life. And then um, maybe there's a specific situation you're facing right now that you need to appropriate Christ's victory. And that's your next step that you want to take is to appropriate Christ's victory on the cross to deal with fill in the blank. And then maybe there's just something completely different from those things that you want to do um, that might be a next step in response to the message today. God wants us to stay alert. He wants us to have victory in our life so that we can experience the blessing of living life His way. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much that You love us so much that You sent Your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and that You give us the power to resist against the enemy's attacks and the thoughts that come to mind. Help us to do that this week. Help us to appropriate Christ's victory on the cross to specific situations that we face this next week. In Jesus' name, amen.